0: Now he's excited about it. If you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 23 to 31. 23 to 31, the title Boldness in Word. It's interesting how sermons work and sermons planning works, and unless you've done it, you don't quite know so it's been a few months I had this one kind of jotted out and outlined and it's uh, been a little more time, it has been a couple weeks back, where actually, I guess it was a week or so ago, we actually kind of had the general gist of it, which is, is kind of encouraging, it's great to not be like, you know, Saturday night. And then, um, and then you just have a couple weeks that are just lousy and uh, this is just me being honest you know the last few weeks have been lousy for, for me for us as a family for a whole mess of different reasons and then as, as most of you know I'm not a morning person you want to know how I woke up this morning? Will I had to walk home because the car broke down on me now thankfully Sarah was able to get Calvin where he needed to go early in the morning he get mostly back but that's how I woke up, and I, I don't wake up, like S- Sarah could say, you won a million dollars, and I would still roll over Grumpy. I, it just, it doesn't work that way, and so on top of a, what has already been a challenging week, I, we knew it was coming, we knew there was cost, we, we you know, it's, it's the constant battle of, you know, where are you going to get the money for this thing, and trying to process, okay, what are we going to do, so the first few moments of this morning were frustration, and then tie-on to the fact, okay, i, I got to preach, and then you got to put on the, the preacher's persona of everything's together. And then, you know, to, at this point, you just yes have to laugh, because Sarah told me just after, our, um, we, we rode our bikes, because we had no other option, so we're riding our bikes to church, and then I read ahead, and then Sarah's bike broke down on the way. And at this point, you just have to laugh. Because it's like, otherwise you cry or bang your head against the wall. And so at the very least, like I, I did laugh today. <laughs> I was not laughing earlier this morning. I probably will not be laughing this afternoon. But it, it's, been, it's been a few of those weeks. And th- this has nothing to do with all the other world, the pandemic or the election or anything. It's just different stuff. And, and then that's why this is interesting, because this sermon is all about, as I had Glenn Reed persecution and how crushing it is humbly crushing it is see all that i just described or that happened to me and is happening to my family it's just various levels of hardship and we all have those various levels of hardship That's simply we suffer because the world is broken but that's not persecution Persecution is different. Persecution is suffering because the broken world rejects Jesus Christ. My car being left on the side of Westchester Pike is not persecution. It has nothing to do with me being a follower of Christ and proclaiming His name. It has everything to do with this world being broken and somehow in some way, which I've yet to figure out, God is trying to uh, what's the classic thing my grandmother would always say? Build character. But persecution is different. Persecution is harder. And that's what I want us to talk about and focus on this morning. See, persecution continues to spread like wildfire throughout the world. The statistics are staggering and heartbreaking. Ministries like Voice of the Martyrs, some International Christian Concern, and Open Doors help to turn those statistics into faces, into people. People who are suffering through immeasurable persecution because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians in the West, we often long for the end of worldwide persecution. As we Westerners who have faced very little outward persecution, we see the plight of our brothers and sisters, and from a distance, our hearts break for them so we solicit governments we pray we engage to end persecution i think there's even a persecution sunday but sometimes i wonder if we actually have it backwards nick ripkin in his remarkable book the insanity of god makes what many would be considered a shocking suggestion on how to bring persecution to an end He writes this. If people stopped accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, persecution would end immediately. He continues. Persecution is completely avoidable. If someone simply leaves Jesus alone, doesn't seek Him or follow Him, then persecution will simply not happen. Beyond that he says even if someone becomes a follower of Jesus persecution will not likely not happen if the faith is kept private and personal if a person is silent about their faith in Jesus the chance of being persecuted is very small so if our goal is reducing persecution Nipkin writes Ripkin writes the task is easily achieved two steps first Just leave Jesus alone. Second, if you do happen to find him, just keep him to yourself. Persecution stops immediately where there is no faith and where there is no witness. Again, persecution stops immediately where there is no faith and where there is no witness. I hope it's clear to you this morning that Ripken is not actually seeking to end persecution, but to highlight something else. That persecution is actually a normal part of the Christian life. Persecution is a normal part of the Christian life. See, persecution will continue to exist as long as people continue to believe and claim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Persecution will continue as long as people continue to not stay silent. Do me a favor, if you have your Bible, whether in person or on your phone, flip over to 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12. I want you to actually see that this is there in your Bible. Second Timothy three twelve. What does Paul say? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. I've never heard anyone quote that verse. Jesus is a little better, but we don't like quoting this either. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me be clear, church, because Scripture is clear. Jesus is clear. Paul is clear. Persecution is part of the normal Christian life what I think is actually broken is our perception of persecution. If we're honest, we as Westerners see persecution as an anomaly, something we want to end, something we want to stop. But in reality, we have to pause and ask and consider maybe we ourselves are the ones who are the anomalies. Maybe we ourselves as Western Christians are the ones who something may be off. Now let me make a caveat before I go too far. I don't believe we should seek out or pursue persecution. What I do believe is we faithfully believe, trust, and proclaim Christ. It will find us. If you're desiring to live a godly life, what does Paul promise? If you're seeking to follow Jesus, what does he say? You are blessed if you are persecuted. The only way to end persecution is to reject Christ or to keep quiet. And I think most of you know where we as a church, not necessarily Grace Chapel, but including Grace Chapel, where we as a Western church stand. We tend to murmur a lot, don't we? Or mumble or keep quiet. That quietness of faith is probably the greatest problem in the church today. In the West. And I can't help but wonder if we really believe in the gospel as much as we say we believe in the gospel, enough to actually boldly proclaim it. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. If you desire to live a life before Christ, for Christ, in this crooked generation, you will stand out and be persecuted. Now, it may look different than some of the persecution our brothers and sisters in China or Nigeria face, but persecution, whether direct or indirect, remains persecution. This morning, as we dive into Acts 4, 23 to 31, we'll be confronted with the early church in the midst of persecution, and I want us to see the purposefulness of persecution. The purposefulness of persecution. Persecution drives us to two things. It drives us first to prayer, and it drives us secondly to proclamation. Those are the two points this morning. Persecution is purposeful. It drives us to prayer, and it drives us to proclamation. See, persecution is simply suffering for and in the name of Jesus And it drives us to open our mouths to God in prayer and to open our mouths to our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, to proclaim to others. For those who have encountered the living Christ, staying silent is not an option. Staying silent is not an option. We must confess with Peter and John Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Why? For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. If you are a father of Christ, silence is not an option. We cannot but speak and pray to God about all we have seen and heard. Acts 4, 23 to 31 When they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Persecution drives us to prayer. Remember the context of our passage which Glenn just read. Peter and John were imprisoned, beaten, and then released, and are charged: do not speak in the name of Christ anymore. They were persecuted for proclaiming Christ. And what do they say? They are salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, his perfect Savior. Jesus, the suffering Savior. Jesus, the resurrected Savior. We cannot stop talking about him. So they returned and told all their friends what had happened, still talking about Jesus. And look how do they respond in verse 24. When they heard the report, they prayed. They lifted up their voices together to God. They sought the Lord together. Their suffering and persecution drove not just Peter and John, the ones who experienced their persecution, but all the church of God together united in prayer. And they cried out, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Let me highlight a few things from this prayer. Under the fact that persecution drives us to prayer, the first thing, they recognize that God is sovereign. The Lord God is the sovereign God of all. They do it in two ways. They begin their prayer by addressing Him, Sovereign Lord He is the Lord God, creator of all that is. He made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that fills them. And take a look at verse 28. He's not just Lord over some generic creation. He's Lord over Pontius Pilate. He is Lord over the Gentiles. He is Lord over the people of Israel. In other words, the Lord God is sovereign Lord. Whether good or bad, all peoples, whether Jews or Gentiles... He is King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And let me just remind you this morning that that has not changed. In the midst of this uncertainty, depending on whether you're joyful this morning or mourning or somewhere in between, The Lord our God as King has not changed. He is the sovereign Lord over the President and the President elect. Christ is the Lord. He is our only Savior. We will find salvation in no one else. There is no other name. No other name. And that name is the name of Jesus, the suffering servant. Peter and John confess that it was the predestined, meaning God thought about it and planned it a long time before we were even created. It was the predestined plan of God for Jesus to suffer. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, it was the will of the Lord to crush him From before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, it was the plan of God to save a chosen people. How? Through the death and resurrection of the spotless Lamb of God. Jesus crushed for our sins. Jesus crushed for our transgressions. Jesus, by his wounds, we are healed. And this Jesus who healed us did not stay dead, but rose again in power and might and stands today, this morning, as King of all kings and Lord of all lords. No matter how much the second point under this, the world rages. The second thing from this prayer when we see how prayer persecution drives us to prayer, that they recognize that the world stands against Christ and his people. And I think this is where we often get confused. Psalm 2 is a remarkable psalm. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. It's a psalm about the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's a psalm about politics. It's a psalm that says, no matter what king or prince reigns on this earth, there is a king and lord who is reigning today over them. That political theology is our hope for today. Our hope for tomorrow. Our hope for The rest of our time on this earth, and more so for the future when we see that King of all kings and Lord of all lords seated high on the throne. For now, that Psalm, Psalm 2, which was not quoted here, says, Kiss the sun. What would you do if you walked in and saw a king? How would you show them honor, respect, and submission? You would kiss the sun. You would bow before them, submit to them. So the psalm is calling everyone to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. But instead of humble submission, what do the nations do? They rage. The people's plot in vain. This is what we need to understand, church. The world does not like us. The world does not like our Christ. The world actually hates Christ, and the world hates Christ's followers. Let that sink in. Jesus isn't some good teacher who is some neutral person in history. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. He created history. He's writing history. Jesus isn't this neutral person that we can just shrug our shoulders to. We either hate him or we love him. And the only reason we would turn from hatred to love is because he first loved us. The world has rejected Jesus. They continue to reject Jesus. Even as Jesus himself says, salvation is found in me alone. When God brings all things to a culmination it is at the name of Jesus where every knee will bow and every tongue confess but the nations rage the nations hate this including America Christ himself knows this John 15:8 Jesus says this if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And let me tell you, Jesus was persecuted. He understands that persecution is a normal part of the Christian life. Persecution is part of what we receive for simply following Jesus, If we follow him, we looked at this morning in the the mission of the church, if we follow Jesus, Jesus says in Mark 8, follow me. Where was he headed? To the cross. And he said, follow me. We are, as followers of Christ, no greater than our master. And our master suffered, and our master was persecuted. There's a cost of following Jesus. One more point about this prayer. It's significant to notice what they did not pray for. God, take this away from me. They didn't pray that. They didn't pray for rescue, for freedom, for release. Instead, they pray for boldness. They pray to trust They pray to continue to rest in the sovereign Lord. We need that same faith. Persecution drives God's people to prayer. The second thing is this, persecution drives to proclamation. Look at verses 29 to 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Remember, these verses, they're still praying until verse thirty-one. They're still praying. they continue to cry out to the Lord their God for help. They don't seek for persecution to end. They're not crying out for an easier load to bear. They're crying out for deeper boldness. They don't pray for a lighter load. They're praying for stronger shoulders to carry the load. And what do we always pray for? A lighter load. They pray specifically that the Lord would grant them his servants boldness to continue to speak the word. And do you know what that means, church? When they're praying for boldness, they are, as a matter of fact, praying indirectly for persecution. Because what comes when we are bold? Persecution. Faithful proclamation is often followed by fierce persecution. This is a constant theme throughout Scripture. Through faith, some were tortured. Through faith, some refused to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hebrews 11, the people of God. This is what people who put their faith in the promises of God receive for their faith. Suffering. Torture persecution but they in faith continued to look to the promise of god that was not yet and now we have laid a hold of it and should we expect anything different? they also pray that the lord would continue to work through the power of the word through signs and wonders that prove the truthfulness of the word these signs and wonders confirm the truthfulness of the apostles' message. They confirm the truthfulness of God's word being proclaimed. And the Lord answered their prayer. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of what, church? What did they pray for? God answered their prayer. Their suffering and persecution drove them to prayer and drove them to faithful proclamation. And it revealed to them in their persecution a Lord who remains faithful to his people, a Lord who shakes the room, a Lord who stirs up boldness, A Lord who is king of kings and a Lord of lords. A Lord who faithfully promises to never leave, to never forsake. A Lord who says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. A Lord who is God and there is no other and salvation is found in no one else's name. That is the Lord God revealed in this word that they came to know through persecution and suffering. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, was known as a man of many letters. He wrote hundreds of letters full of insight and gospel truth. In one letter, John Newton wrote a summary of what he calls his political creed. And I thought it would be worth reading a few of his thoughts. Newton begins if our Lord's kingdom was of this world, then I think his servants would have as good a right as others to take the lead in political disputes. At present, I believe they will do as well to let the dead bury the dead, to mourn for what they cannot help, and to ply the throne of grace as the best and most effectual method of serving their country. Did you get that? As followers as of Christ, seek heaven's throne for your country he says this we have a prayer meeting on the account of our present commotions on tuesday mornings five o'clock it is well attended and has been from the time we set it up which was immediately after we heard of the commencement of hostilities any idea what those commencements of hostilities were I'll give you a hint. His letters dated the 1st of August, 1775. The British Newton was writing about the commotion that began on April 19th, 1775. We know it as the American Revolutionary War. If you want to know a time of political upheaval and turmoil, there you go. How does Newton continue to feel and process and address this? He says this, It seems to me one of the darkest signs of the times is this, that so many of the Lord's professing people act as if though he were withdrawn from the earth. I believe instead if they would all unite in earnest prayer, we might hope for better times. Otherwise, I fear bad will be worse. Newton says, Christians are acting like God is no longer king. Christians are acting like God is no longer Lord. And they're not even praying to him. He says, people of God, go to God in these uncertain times. Respond with trust and prayer. Seek boldness and faithfulness. Newton says later, only I should add farther that I believe the Lord reigns. That he is carrying on his great purpose is in a straight line. That this wall shall be built in troublous times and that he will be a sure sanctuary to fee- to them that fear him. No matter how troublesome our times, whether politically or culturally, the Lord reigns. He is high and lifted up with my car on the side of the road. He is high and lifted up with the president and president-elect. He was high and lifted up 12 years ago, 8 years ago, 4 years ago, today, January. He will be tomorrow. He will be the next day. Isaiah himself, when he was worried, when the king Uzziah died, what did he do? He looked up. Church, we need to look up and see The train of the robe filling the temple. We need to hear the cry of the angelic beast. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The entire earth is full of his glory. That is true today as it was in Isaiah's time. One more thought from Newton. He says in another letter, there is one political maxim, one political truth which comforts me. And this is it. The Lord reigns. And I love how he says this. His hand guides the storm. And he knows them that are his. Catch that? His hand guides the storm. And he knows those who are his. He knows how to protect, support, and deliver them. He will take care of his own cause. He will extend his kingdom even by these formidable methods. Men have one thing in view, he has another, and his counsel shall stand. If you take one thing away from this message, brothers and sisters, know that the Lord our God reigns. I hope you truly believe that. His hand guides the storm. He knows those who are his. He will protect his people. He will support his people. He will deliver his people. He will take care of us Continue to take care of us as he extends his kingdom throughout the world. His counsel shall stand forever. Who knows where America is going? I have no idea. I don't know if it's because I'm prone to pessimism or what, but I have a feeling when I read Scripture, I tend to think things are going to get a bit worse before they get a bit better. In short, to paraphrase Newton, More storms are coming. But you know what? I'm not so sure that's a bad thing for us. I am not so sure that's a bad thing for us. All who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. If we are persecuted, we will be driven to prayer. If we are persecuted, we'll be driven to proclamation. Maybe, maybe we as the people of God need a deeper understanding of what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ. Maybe, just maybe, we in God's predestined plan need to suffer some hardship and face persecution. If that is the case, scripture is clear. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Newton in, in his letter ended by going to Psalm 46. And he said, Here is where your hope should be. And I want to pray through that as we conclude. Our God, you are our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we as your people will not fear. Though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God, you will help her when the morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, and you utter your voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts, you are with us. The God of Jacob, you are our fortress. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Behold the works of the world. Come, world, and behold the works of our God, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. Help us, Father, as your people to sit still, to be still, to know that you are God, to know that you will be exalted among the nations, to know that you will be exalted in the earth, to know that no matter what will come, you are the Lord of hosts and you are with us, the God of Jacob. You are our fortress. Father, we want to be blessed by you, but we are fearful. We are comfortable and maybe even a bit complacent, interrupt our lives. May your spirit come upon us, shake us up, and wake us up. Help us to see and believe in your word, to know that seeking to live a godly life will require sacrifice, suffering, and persecution. Help us to know that we are no greater than our master. And you, Jesus, you, Jesus, are the suffering one. And you call us to take up our cross and follow you. Help us, we pray. Help us to be found faithful. Help us to turn to you in prayer. Help us to be bold in speaking your word. And help us to be faithful in proclaiming the excellencies of your name. And it's in that wonderful, mighty, powerful, secure, solid, everlasting name we pray. In the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, amen.